Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here with Stephen Ellis, as always. And what's fun right now, Stephen, is we're actually into the swing of the fantasy hockey season. So we can talk about our teams. We can bring back that tradition. Tell me what's going on in your league so far. So my six-team league, uh, very, very good first week. Uh, won that one, even though I didn't get some great performances out of uh, uh, some guys I needed to. But it was just kind of some of those last-minute additions that really paid off. Lucas Dostal, you know, almost got a shutout, and then he completely blew it, but still got me some good saves there. And uh, then uh, who else did I get? Oh, I got picked up uh, Frank Fertrano. He did pretty okay on, on Sunday, getting a hat trick. So I uh, won that one. In my other league, I came second, or not second. I, I lost by about, I think, 10 points. I, I there, We only have two injured reserve spots, and I have five injured players. So, you know, I'm just kind of giving up on the early part of the season. When everyone starts to get healthy, it'll be, be good there. Kirby Doc was one of my players, just, just for reference. Ah. So uh, that's me. How about you? Oh, my God. My league has been an absolute uh, tire fire so far. And that, there's one new guy who, jo- who joined my league, and it's like, what the hell is this league? Because we – so when COVID hit and the season was lost, the fantasy season was lost, that was the year that Michael Bublé was winning, and he tries to claim that as his title, but he, we never made it to the playoffs. And we had to reboot the whole league, and the Keeper League has three-year contracts. So everybody's contract reset at the same time, which meant every single superstar – was finishing their contract last year oh. and this year's draft every single star was available mcdavid matthews dry settle and so on so everybody tanked like crazy last year to get first round picks this year and now we have this crazy power balance where you have several super teams that had like three first round picks and a bunch of other teams that are like well there's no chance to compete this year so we have teams like selling tra- trading their stars in the first week of the season including me because i i'm rebuilding completely so i traded uh Four players. I traded uh, Carter Verhaeg, Brian Rust, 
Tyler Toffoli and Jacob Truba for Rupe Hints. And then I traded Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Caulfield for Miro Heiskanen because we can only keep a maximum of four players. So it doesn't matter if you have eight good players. All you, you want to have your just your your base. So I have Logan Cooley, UC Saros, and then now I have Hints and Heiskanen. So I'm going to keep trying to do the, the Dwight from the office paperclip, keep trading <laughs> up and making the keepers better and better. But that's it's the Wild West right now. People are making crazy trades, like five players for one. No one gives a, an F. Do we swear in this podcast? I don't really know. No, we haven't. We haven't. Yeah, I didn't really drop an F-bomb, but I could if I thought about it. I will you say, we, my league is, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do keepers because we've never done a keeper league. It's always been a redraft. But um, my, our idea is potentially just everyone gets to keep one guy from this team that we have currently for next year, and then we'll rethink how we do it. But I have Bedard on my team. I also have Jack Hughes. So I'd have to decide between the two of them. I know who I'm picking, and it's not Jack Hughes. But uh, it's a good position to be in, I guess. Yeah, that's that's tough. And the problem is, so this is a head-to-head league. Even though I, d- I made all these crazy seller trades, I dominated week one somehow. I won 10-1. So I'm, I'm nine games over 500, and one, half a game out of first overall after one week. I'm like, oh, my God. And, and that's a problem because if you make the playoffs in my league, you only get three keepers, not four. So I could lose a keeper oh, okay. if I accidentally make the playoffs. And I'm trying, I'm like, no, I'm trying to tank. Come on. So we'll see. But it's been wild so far. I feel bad for the new guy being like, is this normal? What What are people doing in this league? But uh, so be it. So I guess we can uh, launch in now, Stephen, to some, uh, some pickups of the week. If you're ready, I'm ready. All right, let's start off with the Shallow League pickup of the week, and that is Ottawa's Jake Sanderson. Yes, Jake Sanderson. So 51% available the last time I looked on Yahoo, and everyone talked about he signed that big contract, more than $8 million after 77 career NHL games. Now he's at 80 career games total. And in those 80 games, he has 35 points, 19 power play points, 150 blocks. So... It's exciting to see him already doing some power play damage on the second unit. He's clearly just a crucial cog on this team. That role is not going to shrink. It's only going to get bigger. He's playing 21, 22 minutes a game. And I'm just excited to see, you know, I knew his profile as a fifth overall pick. He was going to be a great all-around defenseman, but just his power play involvement has been quite a nice boon. And again, this is only 80 games into his career. He's going to get a lot better than this, and he's already showing to me much more of an offensive ceiling than I expected. I have him in my keeper league right now. I don't know if he's going to make my cut, but I'm excited to have him. I want to see where this goes. And I think even in a shallower league, he's worth picking up right now. In real life value, he's awesome right now. Fantasy, I'm not ready to make the move just yet, but uh, we know how, like, again, people were questioning that contract he signed. I love that contract from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's going to look like an absolute steal, just like Owen Powers in Buffalo. Uh, going to be one day. And people who are comparing those two contracts, you're stupid. Uh, <laughs> next one, Evan Rodriguez. It's a good one. Yeah, Evan Rodriguez available in 74% of leagues, which really surprises me. Um, I was very high on him in fantasy draft season. I was telling people to pick him. He is a high shot output player, and he's joining a high shot output team. I just think stylistically he was a perfect fit for the Panthers scheme. They really like to swarm the net, generate a lot of chances. So it was set up well to play to his strengths. And in those first two games, when I first was writing down some of his numbers, and so not updated for last night, but two goals, four points, nine shots, 65% on ice Corsi. So he's really showing to be a really nice fit there with Alexander Barkov. Sam Reinhardt, was, that was the most recent line combination, that trio. And I think even in a medium league, he's someone that should be owned. He's going to be a pretty valuable player. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if he set some career highs uh, statistically this year. 
All right, and the next one is Anaheim Ducks backup goaltender Lucas Doshtel, a guy who I picked up very good. I'm very happy with, and I would not be shocked if he's pushing for way more starts by the end of the season. Exactly, and that's why he's a sneaky pickup. He's available in 96% of leagues, and we already know the Ducks view him as their goalie of the future. What was really exciting to me, because we knew Lucas Dostal waivers exempt, so when they brought in Alex Stalock as a third goaltender, the assumption was, oh, okay, well, Dostal's going to be the odd man out. He's going to get reps in the AHL. It was not a great sign for his value, but then he beats out Stalock for the job, which is very exciting because the range of outcomes is pretty great now for Dostal because he, like you said, he has a great chance to usurp John Gibson, take that job. He already looked good in his first start of the year, 914 save percentage. The Ducks have another back-to-back this week, so we're going to get another look at Dostal, which is great. We're going to see multiple early looks at him, which could build momentum toward him stealing the job from John Gibson. Gibson, I know he was such a good goaltender for such a long time, but I think he got a case of shell shock. I was describing it, uh, someone was asking me about it the other day, and I was comparing him to David Carr, not Derek, David Carr in the NFL, taking so many sacks, getting shell shock. I think John Gibson might have been the goaltender version of that, playing behind so many horrible defensive teams at Anaheim. He's just not what he was, and that has left the door open for Dostal to take that job. So I think that he's already, the fact that he's already in the NHL earlier than we thought he'd be this year is great. The fact that there's those back-to-backs more than once early in the season, great chance for him to get some minutes in and start to build that momentum. So very sneaky pickup right now. All right, I just got a notification. My new phone is on its way. Sorry, that's very exciting for me. (laughs) Um, Also, the thing about uh, Dostal last year, it's Anaheim actually has one of the best prospect pools in terms of defensive depth. They got a lot of great guys. The problem was none of those defensemen played in San Diego the last couple of years. So Hmm. uh, his stats might not look incredible, but it kind of like... With Joel Hofer in St. Louis, it's just a guy who had to face so many shots. So, you know, I'm looking at a guy that I really like. And John Klingberg, a guy who I remember when he played his first preseason game for the Leafs and it was downright terrible. And people are like, "Uh uh-oh. But it looks like he's someone you got to pick up right now. Yeah, he's available in 38% of leagues. And I I wrote in my notes, people, people. He's playing power play one on the Leafs. Like, what's going on here? He had three points in his first two games. In those first couple of games, he was playing almost four minutes a game on the power play. Like, what What are we doing here? He's obviously in an extremely favorable fantasy assignment. He should be owned in 100% of leagues. He's not a good defensive player. That doesn't really matter in fantasy, especially because it's not like he's going to be a minus 30. The plus minus on a team that's going to score a lot is not going to be too bad this time around either. He's just someone you have to own. He should be owned on every single fantasy roster as long as he's holding down that power play one job. And I just don't understand why he's available in so many leagues. Okay, uh, that's it for the pickups. Now, I think you want to introduce a new segment here. I do. So I think it's always fun to do some major overreactions early in the season, especially after just one week. It just seems kind of like you're flying off the handle if you do it. But once in a while, you can have a take that you can plant your flag on after just one week, and you might believe this to be true already. So I want to start with an optimistic take. Do you have one that is already looking just really sunny, something you already believe fantasy-wise after just one week? Oh, uh, you know, that's that's tough. Um, who was it that I, I had a good one there? Uh I don't know. Maybe it's I truly believe in Seth Jones. And uh, I know that that's kind of we talked about him so many times, but I really think this is going to be probably the best season of Seth Jones career. He's playing with 
as crazy as it sounds with the Blackhawks roster being not great still, some of the best players he's ever played with. I think this is the year that maybe Seth Jones hits 70, 75 points, just because I think that this is, again, it's a, it's a bold take, but I, I think that uh, it just, this might be the best year of his career. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I was pretty bullish on him as well. I just think he's in a great setup this year. We, I saw him live last night. I thought he looked pretty good. He was pretty involved. Just the ice time is going to be big. The power play time is going to be big. He's going to benefit a lot from having Bernard, Taylor Hall, just better support all around him. So I'm bullish on him as well. My optimistic overreaction early is I think that Ottawa is going to be a fantasy hockey carnival. Um, in those first couple of games, they averaged 4.3 goals, 4.33 goals, 27%. Uh, power play efficiency and they're just getting a lot of activation on d i already mentioned jake sanderson but also jacob chickman looks good you have thomas shabbat you're still waiting on shane pinto and josh norris to to be full-time fixtures of course when they're back and they're still just bad enough on defense overall that they're going to be giving up a lot of chances too so i can see this team playing in a lot of track meet games you have tim stutzler going to the moon brady kachuk claude Giroux, drake batherson and what I like about this, and this is why it's relevant, because it's not just, well, good players are good. When you have a team that's a fantasy carnival, even peripheral exposure to that roster, so deeper guys in the lineup can have value. We already saw Ridley Gregg. We recommended him last week. He's off to a good start. Jake Sanderson, another example. He's not even playing on the top power play unit, but he's picking up points because I just think the Ottawa Senators are going to score a lot of goals this year. So I think that's just a team. You're going to want a piece of that group in terms of offensive fantasy value. I like that one. Uh, in terms of the pessimistic hot take, I, this might feel like a cop out. I don't have one yet. I, it's kind of like I, I was really, really looking forward to Jonathan Drew in this year in Colorado. I thought maybe that he'd be find a way to bounce back here, and I don't know. He just doesn't look as quick as I thought he would be, and I'm kind of already given up on him. But that, that's again a minor one compared to you're much better one. I think. Well, it's funny. I'm going to surprise you. I I'm going to pivot. Okay. I was going to talk about Connor Hellebuck, but I've been looking closer, and the Jets have been good defensively so far. I think my early season overreaction is, oh, no, Blue Jackets. I thought this was going to be... Oh, yeah. They were going to make a lot of progress. Obviously, you bring in Provorov, Damon Severson, you have Adam Fantilli. You have this momentum, and I think a lot of people thought maybe the Blue Jackets are going to make a sudden surge up the standings in the Metro, just like New Jersey did last year. But so far... It's like uh, Ken Johnson was a healthy scratch for the first game of the season. Not a great sign. You have Patrick Laine playing center. To me, that really reeks of desperation. He's just not a center. He doesn't have the makeup to be a center in the NHL. He hasn't played center for his entire career. And they already, after their first couple of games, they were allowing the most five-on-five -five expected goals against for 60 in the league. And that's a team that supposedly just improved its defense. Zach Wierenski already hurt. Uh, and, of course, you had to make that coaching change, move, removing Mike Babcock so early that you may have lost any momentum in terms of just scheming uh, the team system that you would have built over the summer. So I'm thinking they look like a mess early on, and I'm kind of concerned it's going to be a long season. And I was someone who I didn't have them in the playoffs, but I thought, okay, yeah, Columbus is going to improve. Maybe they finish sixth in the Metro, something like that. But now I'm like, yikes. And the thing about Fantilli, I was why I wasn't pumping him to be this, you know, this guy that was going to be a tr superstar Calder Trophy candidate. Like when I did the Daily Faceoff show recently, I didn't have him as one of my three guys, and so people were wondering, like, well, really, why? And, and part of that was for as good of a player as he was, I think he still showed a lot of 
like need for growth in this game when he played at the world championship. And again, I keep bringing that tournament up, but that's his first chance to play against NHL pros. And I felt like it took him way too long to really get adjusted And in the preseason. He had his moments fine, uh, was really good against his own age group. And now we're looking at a guy who's not really fully engaged yet. He's not a hundred percent there yet. So I, I would not be picking him up in fantasy yet, but he's got to be someone you're looking at as a, you know, he's eventually it's going to, it's going to work out. We're talking about like what three games into his NHL career, mm-hmm. but it just, it's not to the point yet. Like looking at David Yurichek and I've already been way more impressed with his transition. He had a full year of AHL hockey. He played in the Czech league before. So like pro hockey is nothing different for him, but he had the full year in the AHL last year, plus a mini stint in the NHL, different positions, but that's someone who just looks very strong right now. And Adam Fantilli's taking a bit, but um, I, I, I'm not worried about him yet, but to me, I was hoping to see this explosive start, kind of like what we saw a bit out of Bedard those for a few games. But uh, yeah, so that's that for that new segment. I think it's time for the tip of the week. Yeah, the tip of the week. And I'm going to pat myself on the back. I spoke in the tip of the week last week about uh, really being uh, diligent with that early season waiver wire, looking for emotional drops. And it happened in my league. Somebody dropped Pavel Buknevich after two games. And this is a team that was high in the standings, got impatient because he didn't do anything for two games. And all of a sudden he's on waivers better than a point per game player last year. And someone gets him for free. So that's just a prime example. It always happens. There's always that overreaction and someone gets impatient and drops a player that shouldn't be dropped. Owen Tippett got dropped in my league as well. Also should not have been dropped. Okay, so that was just referring. That was just a little Good. segment of me just tooting my own horn. But the actual tip of the week is to just remember that not every hot start has to be a sell high at the beginning of a season. To me, you don't want to paint all hot starts with a broad stroke and assume you need to cash out anytime a player gets hot. I think what you have to do is evaluate it case by case. You look at the peripheral shooting percentage. Are they getting to the net, generating a lot of chances? Does this player have actual pedigree? Were they supposed to be good? And the positive example of that, I referenced Jake Sanderson. Okay, well, he's a top five pick. He's playing well. He was supposed to be great. He looks great. Maybe that's not a sell high, right? That's an example of if the player was supposed to do something and he starts doing it, it doesn't mean you have to rush to sell him. On the other hand, let's say someone like Colton Sissons, 29 years old. He's a grinder. He had three goals in his first couple games, three goals in his first three games, I think, on nine shots. Unsustainable. That's a sell high. So yes, there are situations in which you want to sell high, assuming it's not so early that no one will even buy on a sell high. But just don't assume that you have to push every hot start off your team immediately because sometimes it's just a player who's actually breaking out. So you want to make sure you remember the context. Was this player supposed to do this at some point? And maybe it's just happening, right? So you wouldn't have wanted to be the person, for example, who sold high on Tage Thompson when he suddenly had a good start a couple of years ago, right? Because he had the pedigree. Mm-hmm. So be careful. Do the research first before you sell. Yep, I agree. I, uh, I've, I'm very happy I kept on to Tage Thompson last year because I, I almost looked to trade him knowing that everyone was starting to catch on how good he was. And it's like, again, it didn't come out of nowhere. I think people forgot how good he was you know, two years ago before that last season. But uh, a guy like that, that's that's a good lesson on just, you know, be smart about it. So, yeah. That's right. So it's time now to bring in a great guest for the second time he was on last year. He was really helpful. He'll be very helpful to everyone again. Pete Jensen, Senior Fantasy Editor, NHL.com, is next. We are very pleased to welcome back to Puck Pooley's our pal, senior fantasy editor at NHL.com, and of course, host of NHL Fantasy on Ice, a great podcast. Pete Jensen is here. Pete, we missed you. How are you doing, my friend? 
Doing great. It was a fun summer of uh, off-season prep, as always. Now the real games are going, and there's already some huge surprises that we never would have seen coming. I'm talking about teams like the Edmonton Oilers, the Buffalo Sabres that I was particularly high on. I still am for the rest of the season, but not making uh, people like us look good so far, that's for sure. My goodness. Well, it's it's perfect that you mentioned that because we are sort of doing overreactions as a theme to this week's episode, and we each already dropped some of our early season overreactions. You know, for example, I, I think the Ottawa Senators are going to be a fantasy carnival, I said. I'm extremely worried already about the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, but I'm curious for you, Pete, what is, what's an early season take of yours that you're actually convinced is wrong now after just a few games? Well, I'm not going to say that the Edmonton Oilers are wrong necessarily to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, they are just going to probably need a healthy Matthias Ekholm. I think that's become extremely clear. I think they still have two decent goalie options, so uh, they don't both need to work out necessarily, just one of them over the course of the season. And I think that they can uh, make that happen with either Skinner or Campbell when it's all said and done. Uh, one of my bold takes was that the Buffalo Sabres could compete for the Atlantic Division title. I don't know that that's going to happen uh, after what I've seen so far. But again, it's early. Like if the Thompson, Skinner, Benson line gets going, they still have other guys that they could rotate in there to get a spark, whether it's Tuck or, you know, Savoy when he comes back from injury or anybody like that, right? Like uh, Jack Quinn later down the line. If he comes back from injury, I really like Paterka still. That's one guy on Buffalo that I've really – been happy with so far but yeah I would probably say I was maybe a little too bullish on the Sabres just because of how tough the East is and specifically the Atlantic this year so obviously now that we're a full week into the season I guess who was a player that wasn't on your radar at all even just a couple weeks ago that you now see as a crucial waiver pickup yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think uh, one guy that, um, so Brock Faber from the Minnesota Wild, I uh, wasn't anticipating he would get a top pair role uh, immediately. I know that Jared Spurgeon is banged up, but I mean, hey, this is, we were talking about it on our podcast yesterday. Like this guy is uh, Mr. Minnesota, right? He's born in Minnesota, mm -hmm. went to University of Minnesota. Now he's playing for the Minnesota Wild. And I love the ice time I've seen from him so far. And also, the production as a result, because Minnesota's a pretty solid team across the board, even if you're not wowed by them offensively or anything like they're still going to get the job done more nights than not probably going to be a playoff team. So I guess maybe I didn't underestimate with all the great rookies and young players out there, how quickly he might make an impact. And it has been an immediate one so far. We had him on our waiver list for this week. And I think that he's, when you see that level of ice time, I think it can translate for the whole season. For sure. That Kevin Viala trade already starting to, to balance itself out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, Pete, you did touch briefly on, on the Oilers goalies, Skinner and Campbell, but uh, it's something we've been asked a lot already. And I'm curious for your take. If you have to have one of Stuart Skinner or Jack Campbell for the rest of the season, who are you backing? I'll back Stuart Skinner just because I loved what I saw from him last year, like 9-14 save percentage and 50-plus games played. And, you know, even in the playoffs last year when things got a little turbulent for the Oilers, they kept turning back to him probably for good reason, and I think that they'll continue to do that this season. Campbell was great uh, that one year with the Maple Leafs, but he's been, you know, pretty up and down ever since. So I think that they'll probably prioritize the younger players 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Player over the course of the season. So I would lean with Stuart Skinner, but hasn't been a lot to love about the first uh, couple of games. I never would have expected in a million years that they would have gotten swept by the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> and allow so many goals like they did. So uh, bounce back uh, candidacy across the board for the upcoming week of the season. No doubt about it, but nice little statement for Vancouver. I did not pick them to make the playoffs this year, uh, but they showed a nice little pulse over the weekend. So the sample size, like I mentioned before, very small at this point. Most teams have only just played a couple games, but this early, do you like to be aggressive with your teams or do you like to sit back and kind of just know what you have? Uh, I would say nine out of 10 times, I'll give a player two weeks at the minimum, especially if I took them in the top 100 overall. Um, but if there is somebody on the waiver wire that, you know, you really like, you know, guy earns a power play one spot that you didn't expect. Like I know uh, Zach Benson hasn't uh, blown up yet this regular season. He did in the preseason, but that's a player I would prioritize because of the players that he could be playing with. Uh, Riley Smith. I would really jump on him playing with Evgeny Malkin, who looks absolutely revitalized so far, coming off a great year point per game, but he looks like a top 10, maybe even top five player in the whole league right now. And then, you know, when you look uh, further in the rookie landscape, Matthew Potra is another one. Just if you can identify like a storyline, like the Bruins lost so much at the center position in the offseason, and you could pick this guy up now. And maybe he could gradually earn top six usage, maybe even top line usage. If you can identify that storyline and and project a little bit, like then I would be aggressive on picking up players like that. But most of the time, like I'm not cutting Timo Meyer or Vander Kane or you know any of these guys. Dylan Cousins, a lot of people have been clamoring about through the first couple of days of the season. Stand pat for a couple of weeks and let this thing shake out a little bit. That's good advice, Pete. It's funny. I, I mostly 
have the same strategy, except I only get aggressive when it comes to the other teams. It's almost like reading the other players at the poker table. So if I sense yep. panic in another team and they might be willing to pull the plug on a good player, then I might go after that player early on, not necessarily dropping my own players, but I love to prey on weak, on weakness and emotion. I'm a villain. I, I'm a full-on heel. I take on a heel persona in my league, so that's how I operate. I'm a predator. Um, <laughs> next one for you, Pete. Uh, if anyone is thinking uh, just keeper league long-term, is there a current first rounder, so someone who ADP was in the first round, that you think is not going to be next season? Do you think that, that is aging out of that status? Yeah, that's tough to say. I mean, maybe we were a little too high on Tage Thompson and he was in the uh, the borderline, right? Either late first, early second, depending on what the Sabres do this year. If, if he falls flat after consecutive breakout seasons, then obviously you're going to treat the player completely differently. Um, I think the top 10 overall like has a lot of staying power like with mckinnon and rantanen and the kachucks like if you took brady kachuk in the first round i could see him you know being a top five player with his elite category coverage moving forward matthew kachuk i guess maybe is one question mark just because the panthers if they take a step back if he doesn't have a hundred point season for the third straight year you can't knock him too much but mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's one guy that would be more of a second round player but this year's first round was absolutely stacked. Like Jason Robertson, too, I feel like is just going to keep getting better each year. So there's not a definitive answer to that question. I'd probably say Tage, but uh, I really like the first round crop from this past uh, offseason drafts. So to follow up on that, who is one non-first rounder you think will actually be going in the first round in the 2024-2025 draft? I could see that being uh, maybe Tim Stutzla or Connor Bedard. Um, I mean, Connor Bedard was taken, I think his ADP was around 30. Some people reached for him, of course, in uh, the first round or the top five in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues and stuff like that. But I mean, what he's been able to do, the overall ripple effect on the Blackhawks team, playing competitively every night and winning some games right against Toronto and against Pittsburgh that really you wouldn't have seen coming. I feel like if they're an underdog for the first half of the season on most nights and return enough value and stuff like that, like they're going to be taken completely differently in, as far as uh, attention fantasy wise. And Bedard would probably be a top five or top 10 pick. And Stutzla is just such a strong, well-rounded player, whether it's, you know, shorthanded power play, even strength as an absolute dominant force. And with him being a German player, you know, he could be the next uh, Leon Dreisaitl, especially with all that talent going on in Ottawa these days. I think that's bang on. Stutzla is the guy that I've been saying will be a first rounder. I think he's going to do what Jack Hughes did last year and elevate to that to that top tier. Like and it. Bedard, it was great to see Bedard uh, live last night. It's funny, his body language wasn't great, but I, I took that as a positive, not a negative. You know, hanging his head after getting stopped on, it's because he he really does expect to score on these chances. So it just shows that he holds himself to that high of a standard. He's so competitive. So I think it's actually going to be a driving force rather than a negative. Uh, Pete, as always, this is fantastic stuff. Great insight. Uh, before we let you go, as always, uh, is there anything you want to promote that you have going up on NHL.com right now? Sure, yeah. A great uh, compliment to your guys' podcast is NHL Fantasy on Ice, Mondays and Thursdays with myself, Nick Alberga and Anna Dua. It's a fun show. We answer fan questions and 
cover all the trends for fantasy and betting. And you can follow all our content at NHL.com slash fantasy. Appreciate you guys having me on and uh, looking forward to having each of you on individually our show like we did last year. Some some good cross promotion and uh, pushing fantasy sports forward for hockey. Thanks again. Thanks, Pete. And yes, we'll definitely be repaying the favor whenever you're, you'll, you'll have us over to your place. It should be fun and uh, great to have you again. Great stuff from Pete. And now, Stephen, it's time to turn the floor over to you for the prospect report. And I'm excited for this one because I must admit, I don't know too much about this prospect. So I'm curious to learn more. Who do you have for us this week? Well, I'm going to start by talking about Joshua Waugh. And if you go and look at uh, dailyfaceoff.com, you'll see I did a story yesterday where I made him the, the header piece, a uh, guy that was very important at the Canadian World Junior team uh, last year. Uh, this is someone who is very interesting because I remember when he was drafted, skating was not a huge you know thing for him. He wasn't uh, the, the strongest guy out there, but he went out there in 2021, 2022 with Sherbrooke and had 119 points. And he led the league in scoring. Last year, his scoring dropped a little bit. He still had 99 points in 55 games, which is quite good, uh, obviously. And now he's playing Laval, where you know some people have been wondering, like, will his hot start lead to an NHL spot with Kirby Dockout? And his hot start has been four points in two games, which is very solid for your first real professional hockey games. He did get to play with Laval a few years ago in the pre the playoffs, but that's not the same. He seeing him this year at the at the uh, Buffalo Prospect Showcase, I thought he was one of Montreal's best players. He looked like a guy who was ready to take the next step. And I think a lot of his concerns about his play had kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, this is someone who, again, there was enough concerns on the skating things that, you know, he was a fifth round pick in 2021. And we're only in 2023, so it wasn't that long ago. But he's really kind of shoved himself up in Montreal's depth chart. So for him to produce as well as he is, you know, the Canadians have shown a willingness to give give full control and say, you know what, these kids, let them play as much as possible. And I feel like if there's an opportunity for them to call up someone from Laval, it's going to be Wa, just the way he's played early. Hmm. Clearly, the adjustment to pro hasn't been a problem, but I think that he could be a sneaky good pick for Montreal as a middle six scorer, uh, middle six playmaker. Like he could do both. He could score. He could he could do all that. Um, he's not afraid to get kind of under the grill of some players. And like there was a reason he was playing with Connor Bedard at the World Juniors for portions of the last two tournaments. It's like he's a guy who's skilled enough to play with that quality of player. So hmm. someone had to play with Bedard, but he was someone that was called upon multiple times. So uh, keep an eye out for him. Yeah, for sure. And and just with that big news, right? That uh, with Kirby Doc, and just you think of the entire team because it's a long term injury. It's like theoretically everybody in the system moves up a slot with that news, right? We're not going to see, doesn't sound like we're going to see Kirby doc again for the entire year. So it just, you never it's know. so bad. Cause I was, I literally was about to pitch an idea for Kirby doc to write about later this week. And just like how, like he has used Montreal to save his career. And it's like, come on, man, you had yeah. to get hurt. And he's had such a, going back to Chicago, just a litany of really kind of unlucky freak injuries, you know, the broken thumb, I think it was at the world juniors yeah. right before his season that year. And it goes on and on. Um, so let's move on now, Stephen, to the best bets segment. And uh, Pete was already talking a little bit about the Buffalo Sabres, and they're going to be the point of focus here. I like Tage Thompson at plus 152 anytime goal tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Obviously, very slow start for the Sabres. They were 0-2, outscored 8-3 in those first two games. I don't know if they're feeling the pressure because everyone likes them to break out and finally end that playoff drought this year. Uh, but to me, there's just there's far too much firepower on this roster for the slump to continue. Tage Thompson, 47 goals, 94 points last year. 
he can't be held off the score sheet for too much longer. And I think that Tampa Bay in its current current form is the perfect remedy. The Lightning allowing 37 shots per game. It's in Buffalo, and that goalie tandem, obviously, with Andre Vasilevsky out, I think it's probably going to be Jonas Johansson, but even if it's Matt Tompkins, either way, neither guy is Andre Vasilevsky. So I think we're set up here for sort of a shooting gallery with an angry Buffalo team that needs to get back uh, in the win column and just fill the net. They were a top three offense in the NHL last year. I think this is the Tage Thompson breakout game tonight. Well, the guy I'm playing against in fantasy would really hope so because he's got Tage Thompson was not thrilled with him last week. And uh, again, I think it's just a matter of time before that whole team kind of just gets things going. So I'm not... I have Zach Benson in my pool, and right now I really wish I didn't bench him every single game he's played so far because he would have done better than some of the guys uh, like Dylan Cousins, who I had in the lineup mm-hmm. instead. Um, but, uh, again, I'm still a believer in the Sabres. We're, we're talking short sample size here, but I, I think Dage Thompson, you know, that's a good one to bet. I think once he, once he gets it, once he scores, maybe that weight's lifted off and maybe he gets to really excel because we know how good he could be. For sure. And another bet, too, if you want an additional bet for that game, just just bet the over. Uh, Devin Levi, <laughs> perfect so far. The Sabres still working it out uh, as a defensive team. So this could be you know a 6-4 type of game. So hit that over. Uh, okay, Stephen, we have a couple of listener questions. Let's hit those. Yes. And I will put a note. If you want your answer quicker, uh, I'd say... Put it on Twitter. Your, our names are in the, both in the description, but all on the screen right now. Uh, if you're watching, of course, uh, definitely the easiest way to get a hold of us uh, quicker if you need something like immediate. But uh, Taylor Finley asks, "Hey guys, how are we feeling about Timo Meyer? Once a volume shooter with three shots total, his first two games has me a bit worried. Thoughts? Just for reference, I actually kicked him off my team um, earlier in the show." Yes, and obviously it wasn't a good night for Timo Meyer on Monday night either. He was benched for much of the third period. He was called out by his coach for taking a bad penalty, and it's really been a disastrous first few games for Timo Meyer. But I could not be less worried, and you have to think about sample size. So Timo Meyer last season had 327 shots. He had six different games where he had zero or one shot. Imagine if those six games were all in a row to start the season, right? So it's just because it's the start of the season. It happens to look bad. But when we put his entire body of work together at the end of the year, it's going to be just one tiny little blip. I think he's going to be totally fine. And there's a fun stat that I found in the summer I love to reference because it just it surprises me so much. The only two players in the league that have 35 goals, 300 shots, and 150 hits in each of the past two seasons are Alex Ovechkin and Timo Meyer. So he's a very valuable commodity in fantasy. A great buy low if you think anyone in your league is impatient with him right now. You shouldn't be. He's going to be totally fine. I was impatient on him, but... <laughs> that was in my six-team league. So yeah, that's because, different. Six-team league, it's like you could drop Connor McDavid if he has a slump. Like, <laughs> it's like the, the quality of players that got put on waivers every day would just shock people. It, it, it makes it way more fun. It means you really got like it, that's why our league is so close. It's so mm-hmm. competitive. So uh, you can't really just like bail on it right off the bat. Uh, this one comes from uh, Logan, who says, "Help." SOS. I guess I need help. Uh, I still have a goalie slot available in my fantasy team. Do I take Joseph Wool or Devin Levi? Wool is safer in a 1B behind injury-prone Samsonoff and a strong Leafs team. Levi has 1A potential on a rising team, but is in a three-goalie rotation and waiver-exempt. What do I do? I'm, I still believe he should spend some time in the AHL, but that's just me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's one of those, like, 
at first I'm like, oh, this is an easy question. But then when I stop and think about it, okay, you know what? I can see how this is more of a conundrum than we thought it might have been even a few weeks ago. Um, because Joseph Wool is safer. We know like his role is really solidified. I think at worst he's going to be starting 25 games, but I think he has a real chance to usurp Ilya Samsonov. I predict that he will. Mm-hmm. Um, but either either way, just he has the higher floor because you know what he's going to be all year. Um, but on the other hand, Levi is the starter in Buffalo. He won the job out of camp, and I don't think his competition is that threatening in terms of Ukapeka Lukin and Eric Comrie. It's not like he's being pushed by great goaltenders. They're both relatively shaky options as well. Um, so on the volume you're expecting to get from Levi, I still think he is worth a lot more than Joseph Wool right now. There is some risk, sure, because a lot of expectations have been heaped on Levi and it's been kind of a slow start, but the entire team is off to a slow start as well. I still am a big believer in his ability in the long term. And for now, he does have that role. So I think he's going to keep the job. And I think overall, he's going to be more valuable than Joseph Wool. Yep, no, I, I agree. Uh, I do think... Again, Joseph Wool is probably going to be the starter quicker, if I had to guess. I, I don't like they're giving it to Levi, but I just I think realistically Levi should spend some time in the AHL. Um, it's just give him give him those volume stat starts where Rochester's you know a solid team, got some good players there, but he could play with some guys that are going to be like I, I know he's a goalie as opposed to other positions, but he'll get to kind of spend time with guys that should be coming up on the team soon, uh, like uh, you know Isaac Rosine and, and Yuri Kulik, and get to, to get just get those starts, because again, this is someone who went from college where you play once or twice a week to now you're playing in the grind of the NHL. Like That's mm-hmm. difficult, so I like him to get the starts, um, but again, that's more if things just don't go well right off the bat. He, you know, turned pro exactly the right time, but they got options with him, which is nice. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, those are those are those questions. Yeah, it's funny with Levi. Even though I'm a believer, the risk was always a Spencer Knight situation where you have someone just kind of anointed a star before they have a big sample size, and that can create pressure. So you have to hope it doesn't kind of weigh on Levi, Levi's shoulders too much. But we'll see what happens. Um, so we're going to finish it off, Stephen, with the starting lineup. I'm really excited about this one. I don't know why it popped in my head, but I want you to name as a big racing guy. Your top six fictional race car drivers of all time. I love this one. This one's really good. Um, so I'll start at number six, uh, Chick Hicks from Cars, because I just like that he was the bad guy. He was cool. He had a bazillion sponsors on his car for some reason. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 I was watching my friend's uh, young kid go-kart race recently, and I was like, who's the best Cars character? And he he said, Lightning McQueen. I'm like, okay, what about Chick Hicks? He's like, no, no, no. Terrible guy. He's awful. He's so mean. It's like, whoa, okay. I didn't know kids felt so passionately about Chick Hicks being a jerk these days. But I just thought, you know what? He was... Uh, the Kyle Bush of, of uh, fictional racing before Kyle <laughs> Bush was Kyle Bush for anyone who gets that reference. Uh, number five, Ricky Bobby, uh, just cause you know, um, well, Talladega Nights was a great movie. It's not high on my list of my favorite racing movies. Uh, although it does a great job of parodying uh, the, the sport, uh, sport of NASCAR, which is great. But uh, you know, he's uh, there's, there's, a guy that made it to the top, fell to the bottom, and had to fight his way back. That's a, I think that's a cool story. Again, very similar to Kyle Busch's real life brother of Kurt hmm. Busch, who was a champion, lost his ride, and had to go back and race his way up. He actually drove a car that was like designed like the, um, 
like the car that he ran at the end of, of Talladega Nights movie, the one with the animal on it and everything on it. So uh, that was pretty funny. Number four, Speed Racer. Uh, and I'm talking more of the cartoon Speed Racer, not the like the, the 60s and 70s era, not the mm-hmm. movie one. That movie is, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I've seen it twice. And I think both times I'm like, is this what being like completely on 45 different types of illicit drugs is like? <laughs> it is the one of the weirdest movies of all time, but it's entertaining. Uh, but uh, that is the biggest CGI barf movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, number three, Marky Wild. And um, just a DFO, there might only be one person who actually has any idea who this is, and that is uh, Scott Maxwell. So shout out Scott Maxwell. He's a character from a, these two different Hot Wheels movie series called World Race and Accelerators. I mentioned Accelerators <laughs> on this show before because it was just that great. But it was like a show about like kids or like these these guys who were trying to find out the secrets of these aliens that used to race. But at the same time, robots are trying to murder them while racing. And it's a really dark show. It deals with like drug dealing and death and, you know, things like that for a show that was aimed about like Hot Wheels cars. Mm -hmm. Great show. Love it. Number two, Cole Trickle uh, from uh, Days of Thunder, which reportedly is getting a, a sequel coming soon and, and that one's cool because that was like a one of the first real big like blockbuster movies um for racing you just look at some of the guys that are in there there's tom cruise is the main character of cole trickle uh nicole kidman uh john riley before he decided to play in another racing movie and i, I know there were a few other randy quaid's in it uh so you know some pretty big names uh, very good movie uh i recommend it to anyone who has not watched it it to me is still one of the best racing movies ever made uh and then number one going back to the world race acceleracers theme a vert wheeler the story was he was like this 16 year old kid just got his license and then he was like drafted in to join the the world's biggest race to see the drive the biggest cars and he was this cocky kid who kept making mistakes but he won and it was cool and then in the accelerators movies he was you know not as cocky he actually lost like he he was kind of like humble the fact that there were so many better drivers than him and he almost quit racing and ends up saving the world at the end so shadow vert wheeler he's great and and, and again this is going to be an extra deep reference I'm talking vert wheeler not from battle force five which was <laughs> the third hot wheels show and it was terrible and we're going to pretend that one didn't exist so there i go i just had to reference some of the more obscure things i've ever said all right, those are some some great ones. I'm glad that you went deep on it. I knew that you would. I have a few honorable mentions. I think I think Vanillope in Wreck It Ralph is is quite a good driver. Uh, the driver in the movie Drive, uh, technically he's a stunt car driver, but he is training to be a race car driver, and he's really good behind the wheel, even though he's murderous. And uh, there was one more that I oh oh this one's obnoxious, but you can't knock his racing ability. Anakin Skywalker in the Pod Racer as a child, he's damn good in that thing. Uh, even though he's he's obviously one of the more um, annoying uh, movie characters in recent memory, I think you nailed the, the proper list. Though those are just some honorable mentions, and that's it. For well, this. I'll add one more. I'll add more yeah. more of an interesting story. But there's Stanton Barrett, who uh, uh, was a NASCAR driver, part time guy, not nothing too crazy. But uh, he was a stunt driver in um, Logan, the the uh, Wolverine movie, uh-huh. uh, Jura- uh, multiple Jurassic Park movies um what else i'm trying i'm going through his imdb uh another movie that sounded great oh navy seals versus zombies that sounds like a good quality (laughs) movie um a movie called venom that was not about spider-man character um but yeah he was like this guy who would who was like his main job was a hollywood stunt actor but then was also a nascar driver on the side pretty sweet wow it's like tim musilani moonlighting as a, a race car driver 
All right. Well, that was great. Great episode. And we'll be back. We're into the swing of things now. We'll keep the fantasy advice going to guide you through your season. We'll see you next week. Yeah.